because there's something about the body that we're missing in our modern, number one, in the age of sin, but number two, in our modern world that strips everything down to use. Hello and welcome. Hey, you just screamed at. Yeah, Why did you scream at everyone? Hello, <laughs> do it again. My, my bad. I won't do that again. Hello, <laughs> welcome back to Beyond the Bulletin, Whoa. the official podcast of Saint Anthony of Padua. My name is Nate Hoffman. I am the communication and coordinator, development coordinator. <laughs> communication and coordinator. This intro is going well. This is going really. I am a coordinator here at Saint Anthony of Padua, and I am joined today by our professor of the body, Michael Gormley. Professor. Oh, the body. Yeah, yeah. Expert That's... on all things body related. Yeah, um, yeah. Who knew? Who when knew? I have a hurt back or my ankles uh, messed up, I'll, I go to you, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, the charismatics say that when my hands start shaking, the healing starts happening. So uh, I'm all about it. I wish that rhymed. That would have been that would have been great. So, Mike, when my hands start shaking, the healing starts baking, quaking, quaking. Yeah, there you go. Good, uh, good day, Mike. Um, are you doing well? You're doing well. I'm doing well. Got back from vacation, man. Two weeks gone. You've been at Steubenville yeah, and, so and et cetera for two weeks. I do this thing. Like, I think about my dad. My dad had a simple life. He had his nine to five. Okay, his seven to six or whatever it was, driving down to downtown. Shell One Plaza. Worked for Shell Oil Company, right? He did that. He came home. You know what he didn't do? He didn't blog. No. He didn't podcast. Mm-mm. He didn't do a live Twitch stream. You haven't done that either, though. I've interviewed people who have, but he, <laughs> but like I think of all the side hustles that have infected my people, my kind, my generation, and I think of how crazy it is that. So the side note, the funny thing is, my family goes on vacation. I take two weeks off of work, July fifth till I feel like I'm still off. But uh, my kids, they're enjoying grandma and grandpa in St. Louis. Meanwhile, I'm three hours away talking to 4,000 high school students at Steubenville Mid-America. I get done with that, drive home. I'm there at my in-laws Sunday night. Tuesday morning, we leave at 4 a.m. to get to Steubenville, the mothership, Franciscan. And then I record all week long with my buddy Dave Van Vickle. We recorded uh, in his hotel room. Eight episodes for Ascension Press for their our wonderful podcast, uh, Every Knee Shall Bow. It's really awesome. I'm super excited because it was on JP2 as the Master Evangelist. Really? Yeah. So he went through three of his encyclicals, Redemptor Hominis, which is Redeemer of Man, wrote it in 79, his first year as Pope, to lay out his papacy, but he can't help but evangelize. Then Mission of the Redeemer, Redemptoris Missio, Mission of the Redeemer, and go through that. It's just incredible. And then finally, we did a moral theology document, Veritatis Splendor. So we recorded all that. Then he leaves. My kids go up to Akron, Ohio, where the uh, other in-laws are, and uh, her brother and brother, uh, sister-in-law. The and LeBron then I, James family. <laughs> yeah, they go hang out with LeBron. And uh, and I go do another Sumville Youth Conference. They pick me up on Sunday and drive me straight home. That's too much stuff. It right? is. So my family goes on vacation while I get paid. So we call it a paycation. Paycation, right? Yeah. Have you ever read the uh, stories of like early man who would spend like ten hours a week picking up food from the ground, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the time they were just big chilling, just big chilling. Yeah. And Certain then fires. agricultural revolution happened, and we all went to work. Yeah. It's been downhill ever since. Downhill ever since. Then the industrial revolution happened. Then the computer revolution. Now I take work with me in my phone, and it's so sad. This not where this is. Po- I feel like we could talk about this for a long time. We really Remote could. I've done many podcasts yeah. about this. This is not the time because what we're going to talk about the 
JP2 of it all uh, that you just talked about for two mm-hmm. weeks because we have a Theology of the Body Week coming yes. up yeah. in early August. Yeah, August 1st through 4th, so I'm not doing that Friday. Um, and I've done this almost every year except COVID, which steals all things. Um, I've done it almost every year. When I was a youth minister, I began offering them for parents to come with their kids who are in high school and older. And we would get about 100 uh, people to attend, and it's a daily thing on the Theology of the Body. Theology of the Body was um, a series of addresses given by Pope John Paul during his Wednesday audiences from 79 to 84. He took a brief break for the year of Jubilee and getting shot by a Turkish communist, as one does. I did a similar thing between my sophomore and junior years. (laughs) I took a gap year when a Swedish communist tried to kill me. Um... No, and so uh, he gives these series of addresses, and they're and it's so beautiful. And then this guy named Christopher West, an American named Christopher West, he discovers this theology of the body stuff in his grad studies or whatever it was, and it lit a fire in him. And he built the Theology of the Body Institute and has begun – if anyone knows Theology of the Body, chances are it's yep. through his books, yep. especially his great Theology of the Body for Beginners. Um, phenomenal stuff. And I met him many times. I've interviewed him several times. I met him when he came to Franciscan and I was a college student and he recorded a series called something like Men of the Covenant. And you can hear my stupid voice cackle laughing in the background on that. Um, but in that, he uh, he he gets you to not just be like, oh, now I understand the church's moral teaching on human love and sexuality, but like, I want to be a saint. This is healing past sins. Like it's this comprehensive thing. I don't have that magical ability. I just I just do the teaching and let the let the rest kind of go where it where it may. Yeah, if you've heard a Christopher West interview, especially lately, mm-hmm. I think it's sort of similar to like Matt Frad used to be the porn guy, uh, he, anti-porn specifically. Yeah. Um, but now he's he's spread out to all types of things. He does yeah. all. Christopher West is similar, uh, where he maybe was famous for this theology of the body. You talk to him now, it's all evangelization, getting into your wounds, everything, which maybe is all tied up in yeah. theology of the body. So today I think we're going to uh, maybe a primer for the class. Do we yeah. want to just do a brief overview of what the heck the theology of the body is, why you should be studying it, why should we all should be excited that this thing exists? Is that yeah. what you want to do? Yeah. Today? I mean, first and foremost, I want to invite the whole parish to come. Um, I always tell parents, um, so if you don't have kids who are high school age, whatever, you should still come. If you're a single adult, you should still come. If you're elderly, uh, you know, whatever, you should still come. Everyone should come because this is the beautiful gift of, of human love and the divine plan. If you want to give a little summary of it, what is the role of human love in the divine plan? But um, for those who have kids, uh, we also invite high school students and up. So the language and the things we talk about will not really be appropriate for middle school students. I mean, it's not going to be weird. I'm not going to be graphic or anything. But we are talking about human sexuality. Mm-hmm. We are talking about gender theory, ideology, all that stuff that's kind of infecting our, our culture today. So there's a certain level of maturity. I don't want to talk about pornography to some you know, elementary school kid that's never seen it, and then they go and Google, you yeah. know, because so I take particular care in protecting the innocence of people who are innocent. And so I don't want to give a talk on something that's going to that's gonna ruin that. So we say ninth grade and up, but if you don't have kids and you want to come to this, it's this is a general session. I encourage families to come. If you think your middle schooler um, is, you know, not going to be corrupted by <laughs> the virtue language, um, and kind of discussing these sins, stuff that you will find in the catechism. So I'm not going to go anything beyond what you, the language you would find in the catechism. Um, 
if you feel it, then yeah, parents of anyone younger than ninth grade, parents have to accompany anyone older. It'll be fine. Yeah, I, I will speak to the um, universality of this this theology. Yeah, that uh, whether you're married, uh, widowed, a priest, not married yet, not even yeah. close. If you're in ninth grade, you're a long way from uh, you know entering your vocation of marriage. But whatever your state of life, this is going to awaken a fire either. As a married person, uh, renew the fire of like the love between yeah. spouses. You can discover even more love uh, in that love. Um, discover maybe words to, on something that yeah. you you didn't even know had words for it. If you're not married yet, I remember I'm married. You know. Oh, are you? Yeah, I got, I'm I'm married. Oh, that's great. That's right. So I remember before I was married though, when I would read stuff on theology of the body, it awakened this fire in me to, you know, for my future spouse, I cannot wait to experience what the theology of the body was talking about, but also this like, you know, a a reminder to protect this, this love that I did have, you know, like this, this love is so powerful. It's not to be sullied or not to be used, misused at all. And I, I think it's very valuable for someone in ninth grade to, to start to hear start to hear this stuff because they're going to be hearing all kinds of things through high school, yep. through college, and, uh, and up until they get married. But just uh, reminded again and again and again, whether you've been to these talks before, um, that there is a depth to uh, human love that, Mike, let's, let's get into it. Like, okay. what, is, what is the primer? What is the depth of human love? Why, why is human love tied to the divine plan? How, how, how does this all connect? Yeah, so what Pope John Paul wanted to do in talking about this for five years is you may remember a guy named St. Pope, Pope Saint, Saint Pope, Pope Saint. We'll say, yeah, yeah, why not? Paul VI, who uh, presided over half of Vatican II. Humana um, Vitae. Yes. He wrote Humane Vitae about 10 years before JP II became Pope. And when he published it in 19, I believe it was 68, when he published it, it felt like an atom bomb on the church, and it shouldn't have. He just stated the uninterrupted Christian tradition that condemned as mortally sinful, gravely disordered, the use of contraception. Not just artificial contraception, popular myth, but all forms of contraception. And so what they wanted to do, what uh, Pope Paul VI wanted to do, was to carefully lay out an understanding and articulation of the church's teaching on uh, sexual morality between married couples and the and the problems that contraception can bring. So he does this. On the day it was published, priests and theologians and lay people and activists were on the steps of Catholic University of America, held a press conference, and basically dared the bishops to do anything. And they, and they went into full open dissent against the Pope. And it basically shut the Pope up because the church, like, we don't really realize how close it was, but the church was very close to fracturing, schiz- you know, going into full schism. So the Pope, overwhelmed by this, largely kept silent. He still talked about it, but it was largely kept silent from what I would say is his role as universal teacher. So when he's talking to particular groups, like, there's a wonderful address that he gives to OBGYNs in Italy. Like, he'll bring up this stuff. But... um it really fell, so then he died, and then they elected Pope John Paul I, and then he died 27 days later, and then we elected Pope John Paul II um, within one month, uh, fascinating, three popes in one month. Um, he talked about it the whole time. Crazy story, Pope Paul VI was reading uh, Carol Wojtyla, Archbishop Carol Wojtyla, or Cardinal Wojtyla's book, Love and Responsibility, which I have here, and I love that book, 
while he was writing Humane Vitae. Oh, that's interesting. And a lot of people would think that Love and Responsibility was written during the papacy. Yeah. This was written 10 years before he was yeah. Pope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was written about – so Love and Responsibility – so JP2 taught three classes in the only Catholic university on the other side of the Iron Curtain that was allowed to exist, Loveland University. It was a well-respected institute. He would, give a dra- uh, he would give classes there, and so one was called Person and Act, one was called Love and Responsibility, and one was called Memory and Identity. I think those are the three principal ones. And Love and Responsibility was standing room only, hundreds of people – went to his daily lectures. It was amazing. But it was a personalist look at human sexuality, right? Very narrowly defined. Uh, Because our culture often does not care about the individual human person. It only cares about use. What can I get out of this situation? Uh, What we call consequentialism and utilitarianism. So he was fighting those, which dominates American thought, right? Mm -hmm. Dominates our thought today. He wanted to show us the gospel at the center. So Love and Responsibility is a philosophical work, not a theological work, although it draws from. And Theology of the Body is obviously a theological work. So it's just incredible. Yeah. You've got two books there, uh, Love and Responsibility, and and, uh, I guess this is the collection of the Theology of the Body. Yeah, yeah. I've tried to read Love and Responsibility. And love and responsibility is tough. It's, it's graduate tough. level philosophy. It's graduate level level philosophy. Yeah. I am on the you know seventh and ninth grade level philosophy right the, now. The you know you got to get those books like the dough of Homer Simpson, where it's like philosophy, <laughs> Eastern philosophy, and Homer Simpson. So it's a tough <laughs> read, but I assume that there are syntheses. Maybe that's mm. what Christopher West is doing. Is, is uh, well, actually, and- Edward Shree, Doctor Edward Shree, gave Teddy? the best. Teddy Shree, TED Talk. Uh, he gave the best summary. I can't remember what it's called, but if you uh, if you Google his name, Edward S.R.I. Shree, it'll say it's a gray book. I can see it in my mind right now, but it's like men and women and the call to love or something like that. And the little thing will say, like, love and responsibility explained. OK, so it's he's great. diving in because we want to encourage people to you know read this stuff for yourself. Yeah. Both come yeah. to the week of, uh, of talks by Mike here in, in early August, but also go and get these books, either love and responsibility or the, the Ted Shree version or any yeah. number of the books that kind of explain this and, and dive into it's it. It's so important. Yes, it's so yes, important. you need to be, that's a, that's a, just as, that's a huge responsibility of ours yeah. as Catholics to both continue our prayer life, our you know relationship life, and then our intellectual life yeah. far into, you know, until we... Yeah, so we live yeah. in a culture, right? We're like we're like uh, potatoes in a soup, right? Like we're bobbing around in this in this culture, and we're constantly being formed by the movies, by the books, by the by the music, by the political views, the conversations, Thanksgiving dinners, all the things that go in the news reports, what they refuse to show, what they don't do show. Um, the spin of everything. Everything is education, right? Music is education. All this stuff is education. And then the question becomes, how am I being educated in what the church teaches? How do I take on the mind of God for these things? And the problem is, when you hear it from the world, it is often done in a sarcastic and mocking tone. Oh, here's this fundamentalist Christian going to tell you, you know, bring Jesus into the bedroom and ruin your freedom and blah, blah, blah. But the thing that we don't realize is we're all beholden to dead philosophers and economists. Almost our entire lives are governed by this. What we need to do 
is by being intellectually mature and engaging in these things. And people will do it at different levels. Like me and like Brian Jones, number one, he, you know, our lowly coordinator of liturgy, the guy's getting his doctorate at in Thomistic studies in political science or political philosophy. I mean, he's on a totally different level than me. And I have a grad degree in theology and I like the level, the volume of books that he reads and retains shocks me all the time. And then people say that about me, but I'm like, oh, you no, I'm I'm playing games here. Like mm. th these people are the real deal. So then, I understand that not the average, which is why I'm gl glad you brought up the more popular versions, theology of the body for beginners by Christopher West, um, that Dr. Edward Tree book. We got to get started. Get the catechism, open up to the third part, which is on on morality, life in Christ, and read it. Like we need to be formed. When are we being formed? Right by stupid talking points by angry people on Facebook or or on you know Fox News or MSNBC like no that's not formation and so that's a great I mean the Bible is eminently uh, readable it's there for you but the Catechism is underrated as a as a readable book it's not it's not theology of the body it's not written by JP two in yeah. an effort to you know for for grad students of theology it's readable it's very digestible it's in yeah. paragraph things you can you can. And you will get stuff out of it. So good thing um, Father Mike Schmitz is doing a catechism in a year next January. This is a plug. <laughs> All right, Mike. What else do you want people to? I actually have a question about okay. uh, this whole gap between the '80s and then Christopher West. So no one took this on. No one was like the the, the cheerleader for this until Christopher West came. Along? Uh, no, he is the apostle of it. He had a zeal for it that was kind of unheard of outside of, because he went outside of academic circles. So let me ask you, how often do you read Wednesday audience addresses by Pope Francis? Uh, I've, I went to one. Mm -hmm. So just the one time. <laughs> just that onesies. Yeah, I went to, I think, the one of the last Wednesday audiences of Pope John Paul II. That's cool. And it was one of my favorite memories. I love, uh, I mean, he's the reason why I'm Catholic, like him and Scott Hahn. They're, they're the reasons why I'm Catholic, because they gave me the intellectual understanding. But JP2 was also a saint. And um, and Scott Hahn is not. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, the, the experience of it is, is is beautiful. But it was largely kept to, you know, they're being published by L'Observatore Romano, which is the official, like, newspaper of the Vatican. But... They weren't really widely disseminated except in scholarly the scholarly apparatus, right? So basically Christopher West encounters it, begins to truly decipher it and go through it and write on it. And his early writings are more academic. His Theology of the Body Explained book is just as thick as the Theology of the Body. And it's kind of unwieldy and gangly. Um, but he he begins to find a foothold in preaching this at parishes. And so the late 90s, it, it that's really where it took off. So a lot of people who are in on the Catholic audio cassette tape crowd oh, yeah. and then the CDs, that's where they encountered Christopher West. And then EWTN, obviously, taking his stuff up, popularizing it, all that. All right, Mike, let's get into some teasers. Because we want people to come to these <laughs> talks, but we also want to give, let's give some teachings that are going to want to make people dive in yep. either by getting the books themselves, coming to the talks, yep. you know. Uh, Everyone going, should come to the talk first. Yeah. If you've never read JP2, you should come to the talks. Okay. I um, always tell people, come to the first talk. If you like the first talk, come to the next three. If you loved all four, give me a large cash donation. Uh, I mean, Monday, yeah. August 1st. Here Monday, August the, 1st, yeah. Right. We're going to do that, and it's going to be awesome. So that that's number one. Number two, uh, JP2 gave this in order to give the church's teaching on sexual morality, not a list of don'ts, 
right? Don't use contraception, don't abort, don't do this, don't do that. Because that's the feeling that you get at the preconciliar church, for good or ill, that's what people thought. I pray, I pay, and I obey, and the things that I'm obeying is just a bunch of don'ts. With G.K. Chesterton, he had this great line where he said, the reason why the church says, no, thou shalt not so often, is because you couldn't possibly enumerate all the thou shalts. Thou shalt enjoy a good summer day. Mm. Thou shalt watch the birds frolic in the springtime. I don't, you know. So the idea of thou shalt not is, um, can really mess with us, though, psychologically, because then people say, well, I feel like all the church is telling me what I can't do. And the reason why we say that is we live in a culture, going back to that cultural soup thing, we live in a culture that has deified what we call autonomy. Autonomy is a Greek compound word, autos and nomos, meaning self-law or self-rule. I define freedom as freedom from restraint, right, or constraint. As long as I don't have limits on my choices and I have many options, at least one other option, right, then I'm free. And the church absolutely says, eh, that's not, no, not really. Right. Now, that's a part of it. Yes, being a slave, being a prisoner, those are constraints on your freedom. But how many people are absolutely free walking around with cash money and are slaves to their passions, their false desires, are slaves to ideology? The difference between uh, a theology and an ideology is an ideology possesses you, right? So uh, one of the things that we have in our culture today is people who are beholden to this false idea of autonomy. Autonomy isn't a la what we call a freedom of indifference. Freedom of indifference. Let's say there's a piano. Do you ever take piano? Uh, yeah, I play piano. How many? How long? I took not how many years? It's how many hours? How long? <laughs> not ten thousand. Okay. Um, I don't know. Five years of of when I was a kid. Yeah. Could you play? I can still play. I have a piano and I can play enough to make my wife say, "Nate, you're so good." And then I, you know, hopefully she doesn't ask me to recite anything or <laughs> yeah. go to. Hey, I got some new sheet music for you. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Just Furelise over and over yes, and over right. again. That's right. You like it. No one else. <laughs> so I don't know how to play the piano at all. I memorized the notes of where to put my fingers for Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Mm -hmm. And I played it once for my kids and they were like, Daddy, you're a you're, I had you're no a idea. God. You're right. Yeah. And I was like, That's it. I gotta go. Bye. Um But you're not free to play the piano. Is that you, what you're saying? By your discipline and order are free to make music. I have the freedom of indifference. That's the that's the difference between the freedom of indifference, which says, yeah, I have an option. I can slap my sausage fingers down on the ivories, or I could not. I can make music, or I could keep silence. But you have the added ability by the, well, I'll even use a provocative term, suppression of your freedom when you were a kid, now have a greater vista than I do, a Jeez. greater horizon of freedom. You've entered into a whole new reality of freedom because now you can play the piano. You can make music, and I can't. You can play or not play. You can make noise or not make noise, but you have this added ability. So that's why Aristotle said a man is to a good man what a harpist or a, a piano player is to a good harpist, meaning you've internalized the excellences of doing it well. So how do we do and this is going to be really awkward i'm going to say this parents buckle up how do we do sex well mm -hmm. right and by well i don't mean technique but see that's what the world does mm -hmm. when the world removes love and virtue it substitutes technique and if you think i'm being a little too weird about this i would invite you to go to the grocery store and read the magazine covers at the checkout line because you will see a world awash in technique and the absolute absence of love. And JP2 wants to show us, he wants to pull back the veil, as it were, 
and show us this is what a culture that worships use and utilitarianism and views sex and freedom through this utilitarian lens so that the body becomes nothing but an object to be used. And I'm going to show you its horrible consequences, but then I'm going to show you what it means to have a person to be loved. That's a fascinating uh, distinction um, because it's like JP2 is writing these seven ways to love your spouse yeah. well. Yeah. But he's, he's talking about loving your spouse, whereas these magazines are like seven ways to have yeah. great sex. Toe-curling sex, right. right? And you're like, right. ah, come on. But you could still see see this as a a manual to for love that yeah. will result in that, you know, yeah. uh, the same result that the, the magazines are talking about, but going in a, in a different way, where like the love is the, the important thing. Yeah. And um, I, I don't think I, I am going to be able to express the... Uh, what you just did, you're throwing words around like Vista and suppression. <laughs> I did say Vista. I yeah, did say so, Vista. so let's get more into that, though. I mean, what are, so, what are well, you going to get when you go to these classes? If You're, you're going to understand what the body is for, mm-hmm. right? If JP2 could say anything, you know, when he was a young pope or young pope, young priest, he was in Rome and it was before Vatican II and he would go and stare at these beautiful um, – ancient Greek sculptures that was in a, that the Roman, I think the Romans had pilfered it um, during the Roman empire. And there are all these nudes and they're, you know, in the Greek form, the Roman form was their perfection was as accurate as possible. The Greek form was ideal. Mm. Okay. So uh, you have these ideal body types of heroes and warriors and the gods and goddesses and all this stuff, but they're all naked. And so he would go to this park and he would sit there and he would basically ask himself, like, why? why? Why nakedness? Why the naked form? And he would go day after day, and he would contemplate these statues. you know. And now imagine going from there and then going into the Sistine Chapel for Mass. And there you look all around you. You look up at the ceiling, and you see Adam and Eve in the garden naked. And then you look behind the high altar, and you see the last judgment of Jesus Christ, one of the most famous of all paintings, covers the entire wall right behind the altar. Keep in mind... At the Latin Mass, where this altar was, you know, made, erected, painted, all this stuff, um, you faced the altar. The priest did. Everyone was facing the Last Judgment, right? The Second Coming of Christ, and he was naked. They were all naked. All the saints were naked. Then later, popes had <laughs> loincloths painted over people and stuff. But JP two had them removed mm. as best as he could without damaging the underlying artwork, and uh, so not all of them got removed. Why? Because there's something about the body that we're missing in our modern, number one, in the age of sin, but number two, in our modern world that strips everything down to use. And right. so what is the body? It's something to be used. It's something to be discarded. It's something to be hated and afraid of and desired to change. But for JP2, it was a sacrament. The body manifested the soul. There's one specific example of this that you don't see anymore, which is uh, images of Mary breastfeeding Jesus. Those are completely Our Lady of La Leche, the yeah. milk. Yeah, they don't. You don't see that anymore. I mean, in in any modern place, but in the older places, you might you might see this. Yeah. And if you're in the right state of mind, you are blown away by the beauty of Mary, a yeah. human. Feeding. At first, you're like, "Oh, this is weird. I don't want to see that." And then you're like, "Oh, wait, that's because there's something wrong with me. I'm the not, wrong thing, not yeah. the art." And, yeah. Um, 
and and getting into that state of mind is what's right. important when you're when you that's why JP2 is able to sit there with all these naked statues and we're all giggling like oh naked statues but yeah. JP2 is able to think like what does god have to say about this yeah. you know and it's amazing like when you look at the no one ever stayed up late at night right i don't know if you <laughs> oh let me be carefully no one ever stayed up late at night gawking at images of michelangelo's uh you know last judgment like oh check out saint you know whatever they're not doing that why? Because when Michelangelo painted, and when the Greek statues, when they sculpted those, they were going after the ideal form. They weren't putting body parts on display. Have you ever seen David? Yeah, in, in person. Yeah, yeah. I I remember standing in there, blown away by mm. David. Uh-huh. And it's it it sounds weird. And I'm when I try to express what I was feeling when I was just yeah. staring at David, I <laughs> I'm never able to do it. But it was I was. Uh, Heart expanding for me, yeah. soul expanding, just to see. You encountered the shock of beauty. Exactly. That's what that is. Like, here is this ideal form, this biblical hero, you know, young man standing there, but Michelangelo carved him naked, right? And there's no shame in it, right? Like, that's the point that I'm trying to get at is, like, we have people who are perfectly clothed who are filled with shame, mm-hmm. right? We have this experience of deep inward distrust when it comes to our bodies and when it comes to the way other people view our bodies. So what we tend to do in our culture is we go along to get along and we begin showcasing our bodies to derive different types of attention, right? So you have the line of immodesty. What is immodesty? It's not just the nakedness of the body, ooh, that's gross, right? Immodesty is intentional revealing of flesh to derive lustful looks from others. Now, it might be the fashion, you might not be thinking about that, but the fashion was invented. You know, like girls uh, wearing super, super short shorts, right? And I I tell people all the time, I was like, this is the curse. You want to ask men to treat women with dignity? Okay, absolutely. And that's on men. But guess what? We are embodied creatures. And you walk around shaking that in front of people, you're not going to derive what you want. And what you want is to be treated like a person. I have never met a single person who wishes the people who love them the most to treat them like an object to be used. But I think we're so afraid of being alone that we permit ourselves to become an object to be used because we're more scared of being alone. But what JP2 says is why not both? Why not be loved and uh, treated as a real human person instead of one or the other? Right. And so in love and responsibility, his attitude was the opposite of love is not hate in this case. It's use. It's use. Right. Because the love says, I treat you, I see you as a person with your own ends, your own goals, purposes, points. Use says, I don't care about your ends. You're just a means to my ends. Mm. And that's the fundamental disruption that only, and there's a big part, that only Christ can heal. Imagine God taking on a body. The incarnation changes everything. And so St. Paul reflecting on this, which is actually what started JP2 down this line of thought in Romans 8, he says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, talking about baptized Christians, groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he talks about, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And then he concludes that chapter by saying, therefore glorify God in your bodies. But we Christians today, we tend to do the modern thing. We separate body from soul. And we think the soul is what I am, the body is what I use. And JP2 is like, it's the union of body and soul that is the I. 
Yeah, this seems to be a, a, a Protestant line of thought. Is that correct in some way that the, most Protestants see the soul as who you are and the body as what you're in? Well, uh, yes and no. Yes. Uh, so it actually was a Catholic who started this in a deep and dangerous way. Martin Luther. Uh, <laughs> well played. Uh, before or around the same time as Rene Descartes. I th- oh. Cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. He separated mere matter, which would include the body, but all of space and time, from mind. Your intellect, yeah. Yeah. And the intellect was the self, the body was the thing the self used. So we call this Cartesian, after Rene Descartes, uh, Cartesian dualism. It created this bifurcated reality. Well, now you're a modern, fancy modern person who no longer believes in God and dismisses that silly Bronze Age mythology called the soul. So what do you have left? You have consciousness and the body, right? So whatever you call consciousness, that's who you really are. Whatever you call a body or your material whatever, okay, that's what you use. So what do we do? We find people whose consciousnesses are divorced from their bodies, and so they mutilate and transform the body in order to make it shape the consciousness because we no longer have an embodied understanding of I am. We just have I think, therefore, I am, mm. not I am a body. If I punch you right now in the mouth, which I'm very close to doing, I, know. I would say I seven know. out of the eight I'm working hours of a day. It's like four, we're four feet apart. If yeah. we were two feet apart, this would yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you better watch out. But if I punch you in the mouth, you would not say, you have struck my mouth. You would say, you hit me. Yeah. Right? Because our bodies are us. Right? I'm going to say, you're potentially triggering here. This is why we know that rape is far worse than mugging. Right, mm-hmm. than just getting beat up. Why do we know that? Well, we know it because it's something that wounds us on a much deeper level, right? It dehumanizes us on a deeper level. Even though the 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 sum total of physical, physical hurts hurt, might right. equal the same in some bizarre calculus, same, yeah. it is absolutely not the same. Jeez, that's a powerful and Horrible. disturbing and yeah. awful thought. Yeah. Um, all right, well, Mike... Yeah, you've 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 set yourself up. You've you've put the ball in the tee here. I can't wait for these talks. <laughs> what else? Uh, there's some few, there's a few other topics to be covered that yeah. I um, that I'm really curious about because I'm interested in these talks. I think a lot of us are. Yeah. What else are we going to get into um, during this week? There's a woman who converted to Catholicism uh, about four years ago. I happily interviewed her on Catching Foxes. Her name is Dr. Abigail Favalli. She was a hardcore feminist, gender, whatever, ideologist. She loved it all, and then she had a boy. Yeah. And she fell in love with the baby in her womb. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but there are a lot of feminists who, when they find out that they're pregnant with boys, they abort them. And it's this, and it's even a trend on Twitter, right? Like these women talk about, you know, I will not, le- I will not perpetuate the patriarchy and all this stuff. And so she gives birth to a boy, you know, she's married, typical marriage, you know, whatever. And it begins to move her heart back to her Christian faith. And she's at George Fox University, which is like a Mennonite school or whatever, Christian brotherhood or Christian friends, whatever. And she was known as the token radical. Radical feminist. Radical feminist and gender ideologue. All the gay students, all the trans students, all of them would go to her for like uh, faculty support and encouragement. And over time... All the faculty became that. And then she started a shift. Then she converts to Catholicism. And she was like, well, maybe I can still hold on to some of these tenants. And then she has a, a just an ongoing huge conversion. And she writes 
to, and she starts watching how our culture is ripping apart radical feminists because they're not trans ideologues. So, for instance, the most famous one that everyone knows about is J.K. Rawlings, the famous author of Harry Potter. She wrote one tweet that started this firestorm because someone said, like, people who are pregnant. And she goes, yeah, people who are pregnant. What was that called? Wimune? Wimune? No, there was a word for it. Oh, yeah, women. And... Everyone, including all the actors that she made famous, uh, everyone yeah, like, trashed they disowned her. her. And now they're they're on, they're called TERFs, trans exclusionary radical feminists. And uh, you get outed on Twitter. They dox you. They publish your home address. There's like literally websites dedicated to this stuff. It, it's crazy. And so you see, it's just as much militant as it is ideology, which is what ideology does. But Abigail Favalli began to write and think about these things in a broader way through JP2's love and or theology of the body and love and responsibility. But she brings with it all this knowledge of feminism, gender ideology. So she wrote a book that I, I've already told my youth ministry staff, everyone has to read this, The Genesis of Gender. And she goes through all the major hot button issues. So this is going to be some of the stuff that we're going to talk about. I bought more, this is funny, when I was at Franciscan, went to the bookstore with my family, I bought more books to prepare for this talk than I spent on gas and hotels driving <laughs> driving for like 60 hours in a van with my family. How is that even possible? I spent, I, because there are books like this one, Glory of the Logos in the Flesh by Michael Waldstein, and uh, he wrote the uh, intro to The Theology of the Body. But this book is an academic book, and of course they all cost like 80 bucks. It would look like good that. on my shelf. It, it does. It looks, feel that cover. Feel that cover. Nice. Yeah, it's nice. That's it's nice. embodied. But so we're going to cover things like the gender ideology, feminism. You know, have you, have you ever heard people say like, oh, that's first wave feminism? I that's have. Wave. I think we're in the third wave, right? Yeah, third or fourth wave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some people would say the trans part becomes the fourth wave. What else? And when I was yeah. watching Top Gun Maverick, and every time Go they on. mentioned uh, fifth gen fighters, that's what I was thinking of. The fifth gen fighters here. Yeah. The fifth gen fighters coming. The fifth, the third wave feminism's coming. Yep, 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 yep. So we're going to go through what that means. We're going to talk about postmodernism of Michel Foucault and how he changed gender theory forever. Um, it basically critical race theory, critical theory, critical feminist theory, all that is traced back to Michel Foucault um, and his postmodernism. Uh, we're going to talk about the confusion over sex and gender. How do we have dozens of genders? Where does that come from? Fluidity versus immutability, the inherent contradictions of our current ideology. And we're going to talk about sexual orientation. We're also going to talk about um, intersex folks and where, you know, so when you hear the the alphabet of LGBTQI, on the I is intersex, yeah, because they are the – so most people make an argument, no, you have to go to the science and root it in biology, and then the gender ideologues will say, but what about intersex people? And so we're going to talk about that because there are – number one, the, the rise of this type of gender ideology is actually destroying – Intersex people. So intersex would be someone like a hermaphrodite who was born. So we don't use hermaphrodite okay. anymore. I'm very Beca sorry. Not because, not necessarily because it's like uh, offensive. That term's canceled, but because hermaphrodite refers to those in the uh, animal kingdom who can who can switch genders. Okay. And 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 so like you have like. Two animals, one becomes a male, one becomes the female in terms of their reproductive. Like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Yeah, like the like the the African frogs life in Jurassic Park. Finds life, a way. Uh, finds a way. Um, isn't that funny that Jurassic Park scene where where Malcolm uh, says to the to the scientist, 
uh, well, what about breeding? And he goes, are you saying a park full of female dinosaurs are going to breed? Now that's like, that That would get you canceled. Excuse me. Uh, yeah. Do they identify? Did you assign them that? Right. right. So, But the idea behind that is um, the hermaphroditism um, is a misnomer, right? It's not scientifically accurate. Intersex is more accurate. But the problem is they're saying they're neither female nor male. They're some third thing. Like if you talk about the gender unicorn, it'll say male, female, or intersex slash other and it's like stop calling them other they are they are they have a birth defect or they have something with their secondary sex characteristics but they're a male or female so, right so we're gonna actually go i as you're saying this i don't even know i don't know the answer to that like yeah. what would they what should they check you know what from the right. catholic worldview what what should someone with that experience what yeah. should they check so i don't even know the answer to that question so yeah. i look forward to it things yeah. like the gender dozens of genders yeah i don't understand facebook has 52 I don't understand from from that perspective mm-hmm. what the difference between these genders and like different you know personalities. What we used to call like I'm I'm a tomboy. Yeah. What's the difference then between like just changing your gender? And it's it's not helpful for me at all. I'm not adding anything to the discussion. You know what I mean? Because I have no idea right. what I'm talking about or what what they're talking about. You know what I mean? But yeah. I, it's try to understanding their point right. of view so that we can say like here's what's wrong with that point of view because I don't understand their point of view. So Yeah. Um, and part of this, a big part of this that I want to get across is I have several trans friends. And it ain't no picnic for them. No. Because number one, they're trying to understand what is going on within them. And there is a there is a really violent separation between their consciousness and their body, right? Like, or or their their lived experience of being an embodied human being. Um, and this this uh, struggle that they are going through, it's not like they're just like, yeah, I want that, no. right? Now there is something called rapid onset transgenderism, which is a manifestation of of things like social media. I mean, it literally is brown. Um, a researcher at Brown University identified it and then had to withdraw her scientific findings because it was considered intolerant by Brown University's HR department. But, um, but th- like that is separate from people who have true gender dysphoria, what used to be called gender identity disorder. Right. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that we need to talk about because at the end of the day, we need to learn how to love people. And it is very difficult. If you're like, ew, that's gross, then you need to come to the theology of the body because you need to learn how to love people. And if your son or daughter comes out as gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans, whatever, you need to know, number one, what ideology hose are they drinking from, right? But also you need to know how to love them in the middle of this and how to articulate it clearly. Right. So if you're at a high school in a public high school or your kids are in a public high school, you need to understand this yeah. with without the worldview of like don't talk to those people, you know, stay away. Yeah. You know, you you need to be able to have the conversation with your kids or be able to be rooted in this Catholic worldview that and the Catholic worldview is lead with love, you know, yeah. not avoid at all costs uh and and bottle yourself up unless you're a benedictine monk then then that's the uh, that's, <laughs> then that's the, your expression that's or your vocation thing. so uh, we're called the mission people we are called mm-hmm. the mission these people are not they they might be very much held up today in our secular media but they still are the ex- the most extreme peripheries of the church you know and if we aren't going out and doing missionary evangelization and love for them then we are failing as missionaries and here's the deal uh this is this is coming to not just a public school near you but any kid with TikTok any kid with uh, a smartphone connected to the internet guess what you just did you just brought that secular soup uh you ramped it up and you brought it home so even if you were like oh i disagree with this stuff guess what 
right? The culture doesn't. The culture champions it, and we're all immersed in it. So we need to understand it. We need to know, understand the language behind it. We need to point out the errors in love. Uh, but also, like, I mean, come on. God gave us brains to come to conclusions, and the truth matters. Um, helping people matters. Accompanying people, like Pope Francis talks about, that matters. So we need to have the tools to do this. So if you are a Catholic who needs to understand this stuff, come to my talk. It won't be perfect, but it'll be a start. Read books. Come to Mike's talk. Um, <laughs> All good people it. read good books. That's right. Yeah, that's right. All right, friends. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you on August first in the PLB, the big room. I still don't know the numbers of the rooms, but um, <laughs> is it the PLB or is it in the youth room? I don't know, Mike. Oh no! Yeah, I think it's in the youth room. <laughs> okay, check room. our events page because I've been saying PLB this whole time. Oh, AP church slash events, and you'll see it. Yeah, awesome. Family theology, of the body. We want to save souls. So. Amen. Let's do it. All All right. right. Thanks, Mike. Yep.